Hey church family, Mike Herrera here. Just a few announcements before we get started this morning. If you're visiting for the first time, we're so glad that you joined us. We'd love to get to know you and serve you in any way that we can. To learn more about the church and ways that you can get connected, you can either scan a QR code on your armrests or fill out a Connect card on your seat back in front of you. Connect cards can be dropped off in one of the boxes in the worship center or at the welcome desk. CareFest is just a few weeks away. This is the perfect opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our local community. Projects range from yard work to cleaning to some well-needed TLC for some of our schools and homes. If you haven't already registered to serve, we encourage you to do so today. Registration is available both in the atrium, after the service, and online at wheatonbible.org carefest. Do you or your family enjoy camping, soaking in God's creation, and meeting people from other cultures who may not know the love of Christ? We invite you to consider our Canada Go team, heading to Ontario in July. For over two decades, WBC has sent Go teams to the Whitefish River First Nation community on Manitoulin Island. Our team will once again spend time in the community as we continue to cultivate relationships, learn from tribe members, and share God's word in this. Applications are due by next Monday, May 1st, so be sure to reach out if you're interested. To learn more, visit wheatonbible.org slash go teams. Thanks for worshiping with us today. We hope you have an amazing week. Good morning, church. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be together in the house of the Lord. Let's just read responsively from Psalm 148, men and women together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise God in the heavens above. Praise God, sun and moon. Praise God, all you shining stars. Let all of them praise the name of the Lord. Because God gave the command, and they were created. God set them in place forever and ever. God gave them laws that they will always have to obey. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures, and all the deepest parts of the ocean. Praise God, lightning and hail, snow and clouds. Praise God, you stormy winds that obey. Praise God, all you mountains and hills. Praise God, all you fruit trees and the cedar trees. Praise God, all you wild animals and cattle. Praise God, you small creatures and flying birds. Praise God, you kings of the earth and all nations. Praise God, all you princes and rulers on earth. Praise God, young men and young women. Let them praise the name of the Lord. God's name alone is honored. God's glory is higher than the earth and the heavens. Praise the Lord.
with O Worship the King.
we're going to take a moment and come to this table. This morning, we're looking uh, back into the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew 19. And Matthew 19 is a text about the surrender of our hearts. I don't know where you're at this morning, but when we talk about surrendering our hearts to the Lord, we have to stop at this table. The symbolism found right here in this place is a meal to remember the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The work that he did for you and for me. This is a table for all those that are in a relationship with Jesus. That call Jesus Lord of their life. And so this is a table that Jesus reminds us that he surrendered himself to the cross so that eventually you and I could surrender to him. I want to ask you to just take a moment, and there's going to be some music playing, but I want to encourage you to take the, the cup and the bread and to just reflect on what Jesus has done for you, what this table represents, and to give him praise for the work that he has done. And so as we do that, let's read the Apostles' Creed, and then we'll take a moment of reflection. It says this, and read it with me. We believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Take a moment to reflect.
invite you to take the cup. In Matthew 26, Jesus is with his disciples, and he says this, it says this in Matthew 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. Father, we thank you for this table. We thank you that this is a place to remember what you have done for us. It's a table that reminds us of the hard, brutal time that you spent on the cross. But it leads us to an empty tomb. And so we thank you for this. We thank you for what you offer to us. And we praise you for it. It's in your name I pray. Amen.
seated and extend the peace of Christ to those around you. Peace of the Lord be with you. Every lesson that he gives me to share with someone else is a lesson for me first. We give, but uh, sometimes it's easy in the process to set in your budget specific amounts. I approached one year a little bit differently and decided that I would vary the amount that I gave an offering each Sunday. And I did it at a time that we were in the midst of retirement planning, but I wound up frequently giving more than I had given before because I wanted it to be reflective of the relationship rather than reflective of my thoughts on budget constraint. Interesting thing happened was God blessed us financially that year greater than he'd ever blessed us before. So it expanded my thinking about it. The assumption would be that, that you're just kind of getting worried about the, the quantity, but God wants gifts from people who want to give, not simply from people who think they have to give. I want to invite the ushers forward. We're going to continue in worship here as uh, we worship through our giving. The blessing that God has given us, we want to give back to him. So I'm going to invite the ushers to start passing the plates to you. I want to tell you this is a, a video that's actually releasing this morning uh, here through our church that we uh, filmed with Larry. Larry's a member here. Um, the Lord has worked in his life for him to, to consider what does God uh, want to say to us about this, this thing of giving financially. And so I want to thank you for uh, all of you that have continued to give to the church and to the ministries here. It's a blessing uh, that, of what God is doing that we get to see, so thank you. If you're visiting with us, don't feel like you have to give. This service is a gift to you. But God is at work as we continue to give financially and give with our time and give with our gifts. And so may he be honored by what we do uh, in this moment. Will you pray with me? Father, I, uh, I thank you. We, we come in here and uh, we live in an incredible country where we all are, are wealthy compared to the, the entire world. And that we have an opportunity every week to give back to you. 
I ask that you would continue to guide us as we use these funds for your glory here in our neighborhood, here in our state, in our country, and around the world. May you guide us as we figure out where we are going to implement different ministry and partner with different people. And may this be a place that we gather as disciples and that we are generous because we are overwhelmed by your love. And so have your way with this offering today. And it's your name I pray, amen. This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 13 through 30. You can find this on page 108 in your journal, if you brought your journal with you today. Matthew 19, 13 through 30. Please stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's Word. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away, sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, Well, we've left everything to follow you. 
What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers or sisters, or father or mother, or wife or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. My name is Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I want to welcome you here in person. Uh, If you're in this room worshiping with us, I also want to welcome those of you that are watching online. It's so good to have you here. If you're new and you're visiting here this morning, checking us out, it's so good. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. I want to tell you that we are a congregation that is growing in, uh, in ways and learning what it means to love God, love one another, love our neighbors, and love the nations as much as we possibly can. And so I want to invite you, if you're visiting, join us. Uh, we'd love to have you join us on that journey. And so this morning, we're going to pursue loving God through the loving of his word this morning and what it speaks to us and his disciples. So this morning we get to dive into a section of scripture here that Pastor Bill just read for us, and this is not a comfortable piece of scripture. It's actually a very convicting piece of scripture if you dive deep into this. And so it's my prayer that this morning that you and I are challenged to identify some areas in our life today where we need to surrender them to God's glory. So last week, Pastor Hannibal was here and and he started Matthew 19 and we saw that Jesus was talking about marriage, divorce, and singleness last week. Now Hannibal uh, even thought that you all should feel bad for him because he had to take on such a hard topic right after Easter, and so he kind of begged for your mercy, and uh, it was actually pathetic. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, he thought it was such a hard subject, so what did Hannibal do? He decided the subject of money he would give to me. (laughs) Now, we know who has the harder task, okay? So make sure you let him know that. Now, from this section of scripture, I believe that there is a principle that comes out of it. 
And this principle is answering a question. It's a question that rises up from this, and it's how do we enter the kingdom of heaven? Or how do we enter eternal life with King Jesus? That's the question that is kind of raised through these verses. And so the principle I want you to see this morning is that eternal life in Jesus means that you trust in him and him alone. Let me say that again. Eternal life in Jesus means you trust in him and him alone. And we're going to see what that looks like. I want to look at it through uh, three different lenses of trusting. So we're going to first look at trusting Jesus unconditionally. Then we're going to trusting Jesus alone. And then we'll move into trusting gets transformed or trusting Jesus transforms. So let's start with trusting Jesus unconditionally. I want you to look back at your text, and and as you are looking there, I want you to look at verses 13 and 14. So Matthew 19, uh, Matthew's uh, writing this, and he, he presents this thing. So, so Jesus has, has finished talking about marriage, divorce, and singleness. And he's dealt with this. And then all of a sudden, there's just these, these two verses that kind of come out of nowhere, and they kind of piece together in our section. And what we find is that people start bringing children to Jesus. They, they start bringing these kids and, and they end up saying that they want Jesus to lay his hands on them, to bless them, to pray for them. And so look at what it says. It ends up saying, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now, why did Jesus say this? Well, look at verse 13. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked them. So, we look at this scene and we see these verses and we find that culturally speaking, kids were viewed as kind of a a low status in society. They weren't viewed highly. They were looked down upon because they were children. In fact, Greco-Roman law gave parents the right to discard or abandon unwanted infants. Gave them the right. In fact, because of high mortality rates, there there are people that uh, say that uh, it was argued that parents were encouraged not to get attached to their children. So children were of this low status. Now just the uh, chapter earlier, in chapter 18, we see that Jesus wanted children to be viewed as a blessing, viewed as that they were welcome into the kingdom of heaven, that they were there, and, and that they were a part of his mission. Now in chapter 19 we look, and look at the words that Jesus uses here when he's talking about the children. He says, let, come, do not hinder, or belongs. Now why is Jesus using language to say, get out of the way from these kids and let them come to me? Well, he says it. He says it's because his kingdom belongs to such as these. 
Jesus in, in, uh, is all in on children. He's saying they are a blessing, they are a gift, and his eternal life is for the unlikely. See, he is turning the culture upside down. He is speaking something that they weren't necessarily ready for. In fact, we understand this because those that were closest to Jesus, his 12, are rebuking them. Basically saying, Jesus doesn't have time for this. Go away. And Jesus is saying, I'm going I'm to turn this upside down. He paints this picture that his kingdom, his eternal life that he is offering is not just specific to kids, but it's specific to the unlikely. The unlikely in society. The unlikely today. It's for those that don't seem to be good enough. And Jesus says, come. Think about this for a moment. What do children bring to the kingdom? What do they have to offer to the kingdom? Now, when we think of this, we've got to think of this scene that um, these, are, these are young children, okay? These are ones that are probably still holding the hands of their parents. And so uh, they're there. But when you start thinking about it, what do children bring? They, they bring immaturity, Right? I mean, kids don't have life experience. So they're maturing. They're in this process. And they aren't like the adults of the time. And so they bring this immaturity. What, what else? Well, children are needy. I mean, some of you are going through a time where you're going, yes, children are needy. I got to prepare every meal. I got to get them dressed. I got to do everything for them. And that's because adults are to provide security, nourishment, and training for children. So they bring that they're needy and that they're immature, and, and children need a voice. They don't really have a voice in society. And so what happens? Those in authority of their children are also the voice for the voiceless. See, in all reality... When we hear that, why do I point those areas out? It's because childlike faith, the faith of children, is setting aside their will and trusting in the Savior that says, Come. You belong. You are meant to be here. Even though you have nothing to offer, this kingdom is for you. And what children teach us is that they are teachable and, and they have this humility about them that they come before Jesus. When my oldest, my son Gavin, when he was little, I can remember that we were, um, we were at a hotel and we were at a pool. My son at that time was really little and uh, swimming pools gave him anxiety. He also had some vision issues. And so looking down at the water, you know, the water would mess with his vision and he wasn't sure, but I was in the pool. And every time that he would be walking around or running around, I would come to the side and I would say, hey, Gavin, come on, buddy, jump in, jump into me. 
You've probably experienced it, you know, getting to that side and his toes are curled over the side ready and then backing off, not sure. And then coming again and, and he's there and I kept calling to him until eventually Gavin leaps into my arms and he comes into the kingdom of the pool. And he joins me there. See, it was a place that he could be. I called out to him. I said, as long as I am there, you can be with me. And Jesus is saying the same thing. His arms are wide and he's saying, let the children come to me. Let them come to me because they have nothing to give they have no status. They have no extras. They have no works. They are the unlikely. And Jesus says, come. See, for some of you, my question is, will you surrender your life to Jesus today? Even though you, see, you seem to think that you're unlikely to be welcomed into the kingdom. Well, you see that we don't have anything to offer and that's exactly what Jesus does in calling to us. He says, I am enough. Come to me. And to trust Jesus unconditionally, not with any of your works, not with anything that you can do, but to just leap in. So Jesus uh, paints this picture in these uh, first couple verses of that trusting Jesus unconditionally is very important. But it leads us to this next part of trusting Jesus alone. And so we, we move into the, this next text and we, uh, we look at verse 16. Verse 16 ends up saying this, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now look at those words. What good thing, what good work, good deed must I do to get eternal life? So this man comes up, and Matthew points out that this is just simply a man that comes up to Jesus after uh, Jesus has been with these children. But in the Gospel of Luke, where this same story is, it says that this man was a ruler. So he had some type of authority. And then in the Gospel of Mark, where this story also is, in Mark 10, it says that this man actually runs up and he falls to his knees in front of Jesus. Now, it's important that, uh, that we kind of put all those uh, three Gospels together in this story. Because what we find out is it's not just a man. It's actually a young man. We find that out uh, later in this text in Matthew 19 that he was young. We also find out later that he's wealthy. So he is a young, wealthy ruler who has now run up to Jesus and fallen on his knees, and he uses this phrase of teacher. He ends up saying, teacher, what must I do to get 
eternal life. In fact, whenever he uses the the phrase teacher uh, throughout these gospel uh, messages, he ends up giving Jesus incredibly high respect, saying, I know that you are the, the almighty teacher. I know that this is who you are. I have respect for you, and so I I come to you and ask you to tell me what I need to do. Now, when we see this, what we have to understand in the the translation, in the Greek, uh, the word that's used here for this guy would reference that he was anywhere from 20 to 40 years old, which makes me really glad that 40-somethings are still young, okay? Okay? If the Bible says it, it's true. So you can't debate me on that. But 20 to 40 years old. And when we read this and read this about this guy, what we have to say is this is the type of guy that we would love to have around our church. He's wealthy, he's young, he'll run up, he falls to his knees, he knows that there is something missing. So That's the type of person we want around. He knows that he's missing something. This is the type of person that we would love to have around us. And in fact, we would probably look and say, well, he's wealthy, so God must be blessing him for a reason. Well, that's exactly what was happening in the day that this happened. The Jews actually felt that if somebody was wealthy, it was like this this, uh, message from heaven that this person was blessed by God and there was a a special calling on their life. For some reason, we continue to believe that to be true today. And so this man asks, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? See, he's asking this question so that once he does whatever good deed he is told, he will know that he has eternal life. If I help this one person, if that's what Jesus says, once I do it, I'll have eternal life. Whatever good deed, he believes he can actually do something, do some work so that God owes him life. And once he understands that, then he's going to sit there and go, finally, I have eternal life. Now, here's the thing. We have to look at this and go, there is an aspect of this guy that we see that he actually fears God. He has a fear of God. He knows that he's recognizing that there is something missing and that Jesus has some type of authority to actually speak something into his life and and he's thinking about his own soul, He's, he's wrestling. The problem is, is that the question is only a good question and it's not a perfect question. It's a good question that he asked Jesus, but it's not the perfect question. See, he ends up saying this thing of the words, he uses the words deed and do. And notice what happens. Those two words directly contrast verses 13 and 14. It's a total contrast. Jesus says, I'm welcoming those that are unlikely and have nothing to offer, nothing to give. This guy comes and he's asking a question of what he must do, what he must offer to gain eternal life. 
In a matter of verses, we see something that is actually opposite of one another. Now look at verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Now, if you read this quickly, you might be thinking that Jesus is trying to kind of say that he isn't good, and that's not the case. He actually uh, is perfect. But what Jesus is doing is he's actually trying to get this guy to really focus in on who is good. And so Jesus is saying, he's pushing this man and us as readers today to consider what this guy thinks about Jesus, what he thinks about Almighty God. And that's when we read this today, that's what we're being pushed to do. What do you truly believe about Yahweh, about Almighty God? What do you truly believe about Jesus? Do you still believe it when the hard times come? Do you still believe it when the good times come? Jesus is pushing back on this guy saying, you have got to understand who God the Father is. And he's saying, take a reassessment of yourself. And he's asking you and me to do that this morning as well. He wants this guy, this man, to question what he really knows about goodness and what goodness means in this world. See, Jesus is saying, I want you to probe into your life. And the good thing is that this guy is coming and he isn't satisfied with the normal Jewish answer. He's saying, I think there's more. I think there's something else here. And so Jesus wants the standard of divine goodness to be seen by this man. And so he questions him. And so Jesus ends up testing this man's so-called goodness by responding with the law. The Ten Commandments. All in the hope that it's going to get this guy to start thinking about where he's at and, and how eternal life comes about. And so he, he comes and, and that eternal, and he's trying to say, uh, we serve and we live for a God full of grace. And our sinful selves and the deeds that we do can't connect us with him. So Jesus says these commandments. And notice what the man says. He says, which ones? Like, which commandments? Now, this is where there is a turn and we have to realize, man, this guy doesn't get it. See, the moment he says which ones, what he is saying is that some of the Ten Commandments are lesser than the other. He's saying some are higher than the other, you know, some are more important. And if we kind of miss out on, on one of them, it's okay, that's a lesser commandment. And so he's asking, which ones? Which ones do I need to follow? And this creates a problem. And so what Jesus does is he, he gives them these commandments. Now notice the commandments he gives him. He starts with the sixth commandment. So Jesus goes number six, number seven, number eight, and number nine, and then he gives the fifth 
And then he uses this phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19.18. And in fact, that phrase is used all through the New Testament. That that was something that the, the Jewish law and the, and the Jews were to focus on, that we are supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, why does Jesus only give those? Is Jesus saying that some of the commandments are lesser than the others? Well, it's simply because of this, okay? Those commandments, those specific ones, are the ones that can be acted on in obedience or disobedience visibly. Meaning, I could watch your life and I can gauge how you're doing on those specific commandments that Jesus gives because they are all lived out in external behavior. I can watch. It's pretty easy to say, did you murder? I can make a judgment call. And so this man is focused on uh, external behavior because he ends up saying, done! I've kept all of those. I've done all of those. And yet, he still seems to be lacking something. See, this man's problem is external performance. Jesus ends up taking this young, wealthy man and he says, I want you to go to the inner place where all your values are formed. I want you to dig into the foundation of your heart. See, friends, when... When you take the time to look at your heart, it can be really scary. Your heart will reveal the areas you most cherish and value. The areas that you love immensely. It will reveal the areas that you actually call God. And so it could be that for some of you, you're looking at your bank account as your God or your house or your kid's obedience or how others see you or the positions that you own or the job you're in and the list could go on and on. But what your heart values will end up revealing what you truly worship. And Jesus is telling this man, you need to look at what your heart cherishes. And so what does Jesus do? He ends up saying this. He ends up saying, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, this is one place that Jesus ends up telling somebody that's wealthy to sell everything. But Jesus doesn't do that with every wealthy person. And so if you come in here this morning and Jesus is, uh, we're looking at this and you go, well, I guess Jesus is telling me that I have to sell everything. That's not exactly right, okay? See, what Jesus is doing is he is making this statement 
And he's giving this guy a very bold, bold uh, thing to do. He, he's, this is a guy that it's highly probable that he would give to the poor because giving to the poor was a pillar of the Jewish religious system. And this seems to be a guy that is following the religious system well. So he probably gave alms to the poor. But Jesus isn't saying to give alms. He is saying you are to give the very thing that is your dream, your will, your idol, the thing that is sitting first and foremost on your heart, sell it and then come follow me. Get rid of the thing that you cherish the most. He's saying, get rid of that wealth. Now this is another place that Jesus is turning things upside down. See, uh, the central lack of trust in Jesus wasn't the commandments that this uh, man kept. It's actually that he forgot the first commandment. You should have no other gods before me. His bank account was his God. His wealth was his identity, his power, and his purpose. It's what he clung to and he found meaning there. He didn't find meaning in the grace of a good God. He found it in his bank account. And Jesus comes and any time you are confronted with Jesus, Jesus is going to shock you and demand things from you. If you call yourself a disciple, there are demands upon your life because Jesus is saying, I want your dream of wealth because this eternal life you seek demands more than you thought. But it will offer you more than you could ever dream of. He's saying, give it to me. Now remember, the people of Jesus' day saw riches as this manifested direct blessing from God. They, they saw this and they thought, wealth is something from God. But when you start looking at it, wealth often pulls apart the pursuit of self-sacrifice. It, it paints this picture whenever you start looking at the word of God and looking at your wealth, it paints a picture that this world offers more than God's kingdom does. Wealth gives us this dependency upon ourselves rather than a dependency on God. And wealth wants to rule your life. As I read this week, I read this. It's easier to trust in it if you have it to trust in. And I hate to say this, but there's for some of you in here, it is your God. It's what you cling to. The pursuit of the next dollar. And we think that we can carry our treasures on earth into heaven. And we see what happens. This man turns and he walks away. Not just, Matthew says that he actually walks away sad. Why? It's because for him and often many of us, they come seeking eternal life and they're fine with Jesus. We're okay with Jesus, 
but we tend to say that it needs to be Jesus plus whatever we bring to the table. And that's not how the kingdom of God works. Friends, Christianity isn't something you just add to your life like a a piece of furniture. The kingdom of God, eternal life, comes in and it radically transforms your life to make you new and to see things in a different light. Our men's ministry has been studying the book of Exodus and this past week uh, we were in Exodus 32 and I want you to see this text uh, in Exodus 32. Uh, The people of Israel are about 40 days Uh, being removed from Egypt. And they're waiting for Moses to, to come down from the mountain. And the text ends up saying that they were, they went crazy. 40 days, okay? After seeing the miracle of being freed. And it says this, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar. He built an altar in front of the calf. Now, the calf was this, uh, altar, this idol that they built up because they were saying, well, in case God doesn't do something, we're going to create another God. And so they chose a bull. I don't get that. It's weird to me. But that's what they did. But then Aaron does this. He, he built an altar in front of the calf and he announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now, why is that important? Notice the placement of the altar. The Israelites are saying, we can have the bull and God. We can put it together. And we might look at that and go, man, the Israelites, they're so foolish. And yet, in many ways, we repeat that over and over. We try to say that there's going to be other things in this. There's other things in Jesus. And I want to remind you, eternal life in Jesus means you trust in him and him alone. Now the text goes on and Jesus tells his disciples that it's hard for someone rich to enter the kingdom of heaven and they're shocked, they can't believe it and Jesus uh, welcomes the ones that the disciples rebuked and then the one that the disciples thought would be in heaven walks away from Jesus and they declare, well who can be saved? We don't get this. And that's our question for this morning. Who can be saved? And so Jesus ends up saying, I got to transform your thinking on trusting. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, if we were to put this out in notes, we could say, um, God equals possible, man equals impossible. We aren't, we just, we can't do it. It's not possible with us. And so uh, Peter, you know, he's, he's asked this question then. He, he hears this and Jesus is, is clear that it, the possibility of being saved is completely tied with a good God. And Peter's thinking about this and he's going, but wait a second. 
what then will there be for us? In verse 27, he's just going, but I don't get this. What then will there be for us? So he is still stuck on the matter that a rich man walked away. And he's going, but what about the reward? Don't we get anything for following you? See, they left everything to follow him. And Peter is focusing on rewards because he got caught up in the God that the rich man followed. See, what Jesus is saying, he says, you're going to be rewarded. There are going to be rewards. But doing the good deeds and doing all that isn't for rewards. It's because of the abundant love that I have to offer. Because I'm going to surrender myself for you so that you can surrender yourself to me. He's saying, I'm making the way possible. And he's saying, what you think is right is not the way that I look at it. And so that's why in, in verse 30, Jesus ends up saying, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. He's saying what you think is the right way, I think totally different. I'm flipping everything upside down. See, it's in these moments that we struggle we have to do this reassessment in our life of what is my heart tied to? It's where this quote from Mark Twain comes up. Mark Twain, American author, once said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. See, anytime we come into a confrontation with Scripture, with Jesus, it reveals the truth of salvation and the hard reality that our money and our idols have no place in our life, but that they can totally impact the trust that we put in Jesus. That they impact the way that we, we see Jesus. And what we have to do is we have to look at the whole story and we have to look that trusting is transformed at the cross. That Jesus goes to the cross and, and he makes the impossible possible. He makes you and me that we're sinners that didn't deserve anything, that we are the unlikely. And he says, no, you are the likely. I come to save you. I am offering the kingdom of heaven to you, a sinner. And the impossible becomes possible when God gives us a life of faith and trust that lives out in dependence of him rather than our bank accounts, our job, our family, our kids, our status, whatever it is. Because the only thing that is worthy of status is to be called a child of God. See, Matthew 19 isn't a problem with money. Money is involved, but it's an issue of your heart. This text says that if you're rich, beware of where you place your trust. But it also says 
If you're poor, beware of where you place your trust. Or it also says, if you're middle class, beware of where you place your trust. Because the only way for eternal life is to serve and surrender to the one true God. And the way to do that is to surrender your will and your finances, your troubles, your joys, your dreams. And when you do that, you're not going to walk away sad. My prayer is, is that you and I would understand there's no in-between or adding to the kingdom that we would gain insight and we would realize that there are things that want to creep in to become our God. And Jesus is saying, slay them, get rid of them. Because eternal life in Jesus means you trust in him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for the reminder that eternal life is found in you. And that many times we put other things in the, the exact place that we need to have you. And so I pray, Lord, that today that we would reassess where our heart is placing its trust. That we would understand that salvation does not come because of good works or because of our bank account or because of anything else in our life. But it comes because of the grace and mercy that you offered on that cross. The grace and mercy that come from an empty tomb. And may we say that you are the true good. And so for those of us today that are struggling with our trust, I pray that you would break down those walls. For those that don't know you, I pray, Lord, that they would surrender their life to you and see that you offer so much more than the things that they are chasing right now. So guide us in that. It's your name I pray. Amen. Let's declare together our trust in the Lord and stand finish our song.
Church, uh, before we leave, I want to let you know about uh, an exciting event that's coming on May 12th uh, that we want you to save the date for. That night, uh, we are going to gather to worship together. Um, you might not know about a special ministry that we have here at Wheaton Bible Church called Canvas House Worship. Canvas House is uh, a collective of worship leaders from Wheaton Bible Church uh, that are leaders and musicians from our uh, contemporary side that produce contemporary worship psalms that resource not just here uh, and not just focus on the values of our church, but they also resource uh, churches all across the world. Uh, we're seeing these resources being used in other countries. And so Canvas House uh, is going to be uh, having a worship night, May 12th at 7 p.m. right here in this worship center. So I want to encourage you to save the date. Come with your family for a great night. Invite friends. It's going to be a great night together. And we'd love to see you there. As we leave... I want to just pray this over us today from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among the nations. Amen? Amen. Thanks, church. Have a great week.